I'm a dude, and I'm inviting you to join me on a podcast about brews. Does that include stouts? Yes. Yes, of course it includes stouts. Like I was saying, join us every Saturday on the journey hey, hey, into... Hey, co- wait a minute. Do you, do you guys do anything about, like, IPAs? Yes. Like that? Yes, of, yes, of, yes, we do IPAs. Okay. It's, okay. It, yes. Anyway, join us on the Journey into Comics Network for Brews with Dudes. Whoa, whoa, po- hey, hey, do you... Have you guys ever... Do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima... Oh. Zima... Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world. What on earth is that? It's a Journey into Comics Network production! What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the very first episode of Caniculture. I am your host, Nate. I want to thank you guys so much for joining me here today, listening in to this new adventure exclusively on the Journey into Comics Network. Probably wondering, Nate, what's Caniculture? Why am I tuning in? What are we listening to? What's the point? Well, you know, I was thinking about it, and I was been thinking about shows that we've done, things we've done in the past, things we've never tackled This is something that's kind of been on my wish list of podcasts to dive into and discuss and to talk about the history of cannabis, to talk about, molecularly speaking, what cannabis is about, what it does to us physically when we we ingest it and things of that nature. I want to talk about it from a standpoint of the culture itself and the faux pas of smoking and learning and the history of me within the world of cannabis because I have a very interesting and checkered past and that's actually where I'm going to start here today. You're going to notice there's lots of drink breaks. I've got cotton mouth like a motherfucker. I'm so sorry. So anyways, it's really interesting to think about my journey with cannabis because when I was, God, I would say like seven or eight years old, I remember kind of figuring out what the smell was. Like, what's that smell? What's that smell? And it's because my parents smoked weed all the time. And um, I wasn't really cool with it at the time. I felt like because I had been this star student in school, I had kind of been led to believe that, like, drug, drugs are bad. Okay. And, of course, a lot of drugs are bad, Right. But I put the umbrella of all drugs are bad, okay? And there's no good. And I only knew black and white. There's only a good or a bad. There can be no gray area, right? So when, you know, my parents are smoking and whatnot, I'd kind of caught on. Then they were going through a divorce. And then it was just me and my dad living together, you know? And it was a really interesting time for me. I was, uh, you know in this kind of like brave new world, me and him on our own struggling to get through day to day, you know, poor. And, uh, from time to time I would smell the weed on him and I'd be like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, is what, what? come on, man. Like, I'm not cool with it. Increasingly, I started to have a stigma about it. And one time I found his like hitter box when I was like 12 years old or something. And I didn't obviously do anything with it, but I was just like, really disgusted that I had found it and that I actually had confirmation that that's who my dad was. And I didn't really know or understand about the drug or, or the, the medicinal properties of uh, this plant. So I think I'm like, I don't know, probably like 17 or something. And I'm in my band And, uh, we are all, you know, in school together. And I just remember that our drummer got in trouble. He brought weed to school. They caught him. He got in trouble. He got sent home. He could have got arrested, whatever. 
And it pretty much was the end of him being in our band. It really wasn't the end of him being in our band, but at that time, it's kind of what it felt like. We thought it was definitely over for him. And I remember just being very angry with him. Like, why would you risk our amazing band, you know, which is just a kid band at the time, uh, for drugs, man? Again, drugs are still very bad in my head, and I had no alternate understanding of how they could be utilized, right? So I think I was like a couple months out of high school and I was working for uh, McDonald's and I was at a party and I drank on occasion, underage drinking, you know, but nothing crazy. I was never getting like sloshed. It was just like socially to be around people, you know, whatever, here and there, not all the time, you know, whatever. And I remember that at this particular party, they brought mushrooms and weed. And I was like, okay, well, um, I was dating this girl at the time. I was like, I'll, be, I'll kind of be brave and I'll try both. And I puffed a little on the smoke. And uh, I didn't really like it. It made me feel kind of funky. And I was like, ugh, uh, this is probably not for me. <clears throat> Ta-da, I was wrong. But we'll get into that in a minute. So that night, you know, I go home and I just remembered thinking like, oh, that was that was interesting. It wasn't what I thought. And I don't feel weird, you know. Um, maybe it didn't work. Whatever. And that was kind of it for a while, for a time. And then I remember, fast forward to, I want to say it was probably 2010, summer of 2010. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it. I th I'm, I'm pretty sure it was summer of 2010. So I had my first vacation from my job, and at the time, I worked for my family. They were very harsh to me, and what I mean by that is. I was told one thing, another thing happened, it's been covered on podcasts, you guys can hear that, just go back in the annals of time, you can hear it various places, if you really want to know, get at me, I'll tell you where to find it specifically, or I'll tell you the story in person, whatever, it doesn't matter, but anyways, so, 2010, I'm on my vacation, and I think, man, I want to, I want to smoke. I want to do this. I'm going to smoke. And I'm lucky to be dating someone who partakes. And uh, I'm, I, can I have some smoke? And they're like, really? I was like, yeah, I'm on vacation. You know, they're not going to drug test me because I'm on vacation. If I do it today and I don't have any more, I should be all right. Okay, whatever. Sure. So I smoke, and that's a funny story. So... Let's back up. I ask, okay, the answer is yes. I get handed the hitter box. I take the said box. I go outside. There's a one hitter. One hitters are usually made of some sort of metal. I pack the bottom of it. You know, I, I pack the the spot where you pack the weed in, I, the, the cannabis in. I, I pack it in there. And um, it's been a while, you know. And I'm like, I want to feel it, you know. Like, I want to really make sure I do it right this time. So I'm going to really go for it. So I torch and I inhale as hard as I can and I inhale too much and all the smoke goes down in my lungs and it's too much too fast and it triggers my gag reflex and I immediately start puking and I'm puking and I'm puking it's not pretty of course uh, because of that I'm extraordinarily um, high on my mind and feeling it as it were and I'm like wow this stuff is crazy my pain is gone. I feel nice. Like, my head feels good. At the time, I had been going through a lot of pain because I was working for my family and because I was moving furniture instead of selling furniture because I had to be a furniture mover. Uh, I incurred several really pretty gnarly injuries on my body that I still carry with me to this day, but they were, at the time, always in pain because I was never allowed to actually heal. It was, oh, tough it out, you pussy. You'll be fine. You know, don't be a little bitch about it whatever. So I remember one time I fell and smashed the fuck out of my elbow, uh, on the 
show floor and the show floor had concrete floors. So I went elbow down directly onto concrete and my elbow was the size of a fucking softball. And my, I've got my uncle telling me, oh, you're fucking fine. You know, you don't need to go to the hospital or anything like that. And my elbow, still to this day, I have a problem where if I put too much weight on this elbow, there's a stabbing pain that shoots through my arm that I do not like feeling. So at that time, I was actually taking Vicodin during my excursion at Carter's. My uh, partner, who I was working with at the time, was like, hey, man, if you're feeling pain, uh, just take one of these and you'll feel fucking so much better. He gave me a Vicodin. And I was like, wow, I kind of do feel a little bit better. I was like, how much How much are those? And he's like, it's, you know, $3 a pill. So you can get 10 pills for 30 bucks. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And like, from you, you're going to sell them to me? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get them. And I was like, oh, okay. And I guess I really didn't know where he was getting them from. But they were 10 milligram Vicodin. They were very strong, very nice blue pill little guys. And um, I started taking like two or three in a day. And then more, and then more. And um, just because not only did I have obviously a pain in my body, but I also had pain from migraines, which I've been having since I was nine years old. And to go back to that for a second, I'm nine years old. Everything's cool in my life. This kid's jealous that I'm talking to this girl that apparently he wanted to talk to. I'm not looking. I'm in the line for the bus. Next thing I know, bam, my head smashes into a locker. Everything goes fucking dizzy and black for a second. Then I start crying because the pain is so strong in my head. It's just insane. And then this beautiful teacher comes and saves me from this kid. And the kid gets taken. And then they obviously suspend him for attacking me unsolicited. Because I was just minding my own fucking business. You know, doing my own thing or whatever. So, uh, anyways, my mom took me home. And she was like, oh, just sleep it off. So I most likely had a concussion. I went to sleep right after, which is like the literally the worst thing you can do is to tell someone who has a concussion to just go to sleep. Like it can actually cause permanent damage. And then like ever since that time, I can remember from nine years old and on having migraines. Like they kind of coincide. And, you know, for a time, I don't think I really correlated those two events being the same. But you hear about CTE, you hear about uh, concussion trauma, and uh, how that affects the brain. And honestly, part of me thinks that some something did happen when I was young. And I don't know if I fully ever fully recovered. And now I have migraines because of it, you know. So the migraines have always been a source of pain for me that I've tried to manage through um, Excedrin migraine or ibuprofen or Tylenol or whatever. Nothing ever really worked. It was like usually I would have to just like bear the pain to the point of crying sleep it off and then hope the next day that if I had anything, it was just a very minor rebound migraine and not like this really terrible, like, whoa, second day thing, you know? So I left the the job with my family and I started working at the casino up, up where I'm at now. And I got that job with, uh, you know, honestly, I told him, I was like, I have a prescription for Vicodin, and I did. At the time, I actually went and met with my doctors, and they agreed. They were like, you probably actually should be taking this, but don't take as much as you've been taking, because that's going to really fuck you up in the long run. And for a time, I was not 100% right from that. I think I had swings of depression and stuff on the other side of the Vicodin, because it was just, it clouded me up a lot. It really, it really affected me. So... I remember working up here after I got the job, you know, they drug tested me. I didn't have any smoke in my system at that time because I really couldn't because, again, I was working for my family. They were exclusively drug testing me, expecting me to not fail because they knew, oh, he's the golden child. He doesn't do anything wrong. And uh, so I had to uphold that image, obviously, or at least try to. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up here, and I remember... One night I, I was working at the casino and I got the absolute worst migraine of my life. I remember I begged for an EO and they finally, EO means early out. And they gave me the early out and sent me home and I'm on, on my way home. And everything was just like fuzzy and I didn't really, I didn't really recall like my whole drive home or anything. I didn't really even recall pff, most of that day specifically other than just like, 
waking up the next day grateful that I had made it through. And I remember thinking like, man, I just wish there was something that would take this pain away. And the next time I get a migraine, I think I'm going to try to smoke, smoke some weed about it, you know, and see what happens and see if it can affect my brain and maybe make me feel better. At this point, you know, it's a 2011, 2012, and we are in the time in the era where science is catching up and we're learning more and more about the drug and, and, and what its uh, medicinal purposes are. And I'm like, maybe, maybe I can stop my migraines and other pains from this. So I tried it and I tried it the next day and the next day and the next day and the next and so on and so on and so forth to where now every day, a couple times day, you know, whatever, uh, especially in this trying quarantine based world, we're currently all struggling to get through. Uh, it's honestly very, 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 very strange to me to think of a time when I was so against this, because if I would have known the science behind it, I don't think I ever would have been against it. I think I would have more been like, they need to make this something that is accessible to people who need it. Because I feel if I'm a person who's suffering and I had to find it and find out on my own way, that what would happen if we lived in a world where that was offered to people who have never tried to smoke cannabis, who don't know the medicinal properties and how that can help benefit their pains, and who are suffering every single day. It's just something that, you know, it really greatly pains me. So now, you know a little bit about my story, and we're going to, you know, obviously probably tell some stories on here from time to time. I'm sure this show will probably get quite silly. Uh, but today we're going to keep it short because I just, again, it's an introduction to the show. I'm just trying to get my footing, uh, because it's new for me. It's really weird. Uh, you know, starting a new show, I kind of have done the same few shows for a few years and this is the first time, uh, really stepping outside of my own comfort zone to do something that's a little different and not what we typically do here at Journey into Comics, because while this is a fun network and we have lots of fun and tell stories and are you know hilarious in a lot of ways I want this to be very educational I want to walk you guys through the history of this drug the history of its origins talking about going all the way back to the first known uses of it we're going to talk about it here in just one second and in what was literally just one second to you guys was like 30 seconds for me but whatever it doesn't matter so let's Let's get into it. I found a beautiful little article that kicks off of uh, one of the more recent stories. Uh, this came from 2019. I think I have the name of the guy who wrote it. If not, I'm really sorry. Uh, his name was Arthur, I think, or Andrew or something. But <clears throat> anyways, I'm just going to read this directly to you guys, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. Today, more than 150 million people regularly smoke cannabis, making it one of the world's most popular recreational drugs. But when and where humans began to appreciate the psychoactive properties of weed has been more of a matter of speculation than science. Now a team led by archaeologists Yan Yemen and Ren Meng of Chinese Academy in Sciences in Beijing reports clear physical evidence that mourners burned cannabis for its intoxicating fumes on a remote mountain plateau in Central Asia some 2,500 years ago. That's 500 BCE, before the Common Era. This study, published in Science Advances, relies on new techniques that enables researchers to identify the chemical signature of the plant and even evaluate its potency. We are in the midst of a really exciting period, says team member Nicole Boven, Boven of the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History, the MPISHH, that's kind of a tongue twister, in Jena, Germany, or Jena, Germany, maybe? I'm not sure. The paper is part of a wider effort to track how the drug spread among the nascent Silk Road on its way to becoming a global intoxicant it is today. So, cannabis, known as hemp or marijuana, evolved about 28 million years ago on the eastern Tiberian Plateau. According to a pollen study published in May, a close relative of the common hop founder in beer, the close relative of the common hop found in beer, the plant still grows wild across Central Asia, 
More than 4,000 years ago, Chinese farmers began to grow it for oil and for fiber to make rope, clothing, and paper. Pinpointing when people began to take advantage of hemp psychoactive properties has proved tricky. Archaeologists have made claims of ritual cannabis burning in Central Asia sites as far back as 5,000 years ago. But new analyses of those plants, plant remains by other teams suggest that early cannabis strains had low levels of tetrahydrocannabinol, that's another tongue twister, but tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, the plant's most powerful psychoactive component, and so lacked mind-altering properties. One academic who got who works in Central Asia, said he and colleagues tried to smoke and eat the wild varieties, but got no buzz. The cannabis burned 2,500 years ago at the Zhirzhankal Cemetery, 3,000 meters high in the Pamir Mountains in far west China, was different. Evacuations there have uncovered skeletons and wooden plates, bowls and Chinese harps as well as wooden braziers that held burning material. All are typical of the so the Sogdians. Sogdians, maybe? S-O-G-D-I-A-N-S, for those of you who are curious. Sogdians. A people of western China and Tajikistan who generally followed the Persian faith. Zoroastrian. That is another tongue twister. Wow, this has got some really interesting tongue twisters. Zoroastrianism, Zoroastrianism, which later celebrated the mind-expanding properties of cannabis in sacred text. At Zhejiankal, glass beads typical of Western Asia and silk from China confirmed the long-distance trade for which the Sogdians became famous. An isotopic analysis of 34 skeletons showed nearly a third were migrants. Radiocarbon analysis puts the burial at about 500 BCE. The wooden braziers were concentrated in the more elite tombs. Yang and Rin's team ground bits of brazier into powder and applied gas, chromatography, and mass spectrometry to identify chemical compounds left behind. They found unusually high levels of THC compared with the typical wild cannabis, although much less than in today's highly bred plants. The cannabis was apparently burned in an enclosed space, so mourners also certainly inhaled THC-laced fumes. The authors say making this the earliest solid evidence of cannabis use for psychoactive purposes. Archaeologists have spotted signs of ancient cannabis use from western China to the Caucasus. The region's high altitude could have stressed the cannabis, creating plants naturally high in, T- naturally high in THC, says co-author Robert Spengler. Also, MPISHH, it is quite likely that people came across cannabis plants at a higher elevation that were naturally producing higher level THCs. But humans may have also intervened to breed a more wicked weed, he adds. The methods are convincing, the data, the, and the data are unambiguous regarding early use of cannabis as a psychoabsent substance, says Tang Wenlong, an environmental scientist at the University of Nottingham in the United Kingdom who has researched cannabis origins. But Megan Cifarelli, an art historian at Manhattan College in Purchase, New York, who has studied ancient drug use notes, the aromatic fumes might have also had another purpose, to mask the smell of a putrefying corpse. <sighs> That's dark. Yang and Ren's team think cannabis use was restricted to elites until potent pot began to spread across Central Asia through the Silk Road linking China with Iran. In 440 BCE, the Greek historian Herodotus wrote that the nomadic Scythians, who controlled the vast area of Siberia to Eastern Europe, made tents and heated rocks in order to inhale hemp vapors that made them shout for joy. And Andrei Belinsky, an archaeologist based in the Heritage Museum in Stavropol, Russia, in 2013, began to evacuate a nearby 2,400-year-old Scythian tomb that held golden vessels bearing residues of both opium and cannabis, supporting the idea that elites used the drug first. 
Ancient artwork and textual references from Syria to China hint that even early, earlier cannabis drug use and the new analytical methods could soon provide concrete evidence of this, says Michael Freschetti, an archaeologist in Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. But it's already clear that an ancient Silk Road trafficked in more than spices, grains, and ideas. Crops weren't just about food, he says. They were also about making contact with another world. I mean, what do you do in 500 BCE, 2,500 years ago? You have, there's nothing that we even know as life exists. Their life is so genuinely different. And there is so much more struggle that the the use of it and the bondage of using it, you know, the the stigma didn't even exist because it was used for holistic purposes, life purposes, um, spiritual purposes. And I think that's kind of why, you know, we see it used more in the common era today. So we're going to fast track a little bit here. Uh we have some 10,000-year history of marijuana use in the world thanks to advancedholistichealth.org. has some history. And we're just going to pinpoint a few moments here uh, until we get more into the closer to, closer to the, the modern era where we are now, where we can start to actually talk about what our world has endured over the past several years uh, and decades leading up to where we are now with the current uh, movement of cannabis use. And today we're going to just go through a couple of these bullet points, talk about them a little bit. Uh, over 8,000 plus BCE, so that's uh, about 10,000 years ago according to this. Uh, use of hemp, cord, and pottery identified at ancient village sites dating back over 10,000 years. Located in the area of modern day Taiwan. Finding hemp use and cultivation to this date range puts it as one of the first and oldest known human agriculture crops. As explained by Richard Hamilton in the 2009 Scientific American article on sustainable agriculture, modern humans emerged 250,000 years ago. Gosh, I cannot talk today. Yet agriculture is fairly recent invention, only about 10,000 years old. Agriculture is not natural. It actually is a human invention. It is also the basis of modern civilization. I think that's a very fascinating point. Uh, this point was also touched on by Carl Sagan in 1977 when he proposed the possibility that marijuana may have actually been the world's first agricultural crop, leading to the development of civilization itself. Once we get into the 1977 stuff at some point, we will probably be touching on that. But, uh... Let's go ahead and talk about the next bullet point, which is 6,000 years BCE. Cannabis seeds and oil used for food in China. And then 2,000 BCE later, textiles made of hemp are used in China and Turkestan. Uh, as we inch closer and closer to the, the start of the Common Era, um, in, two, in 2737 BCE, first recorded use of cannabis as medicine by Emperor uh, Shangnang of China. 2008. Two, between 2000 and 800 BCE, bong, dried cannabis leaves, seeds, and stems, is mentioned in the Hindu sacred text Athvardaya, Science of Charms as a Sacred Grass, one of the five sacred plants of India. It is used by medicinally and ritually as an offering to Shiva. It is used by medicinally and ritually as, uh, that's weirdly written, but okay. 1,500 BCE, cannabis cultivated in China for food and fiber. Scythians cultivate cannabis and use it to weave fine hemp cloth. We already know that hemp is a very useful thing and a useful crop, and that's this whole battle has been. Like You have something, a plant like cannabis that's as versatile as it is. It can do so many different things. You can turn it into so many different things. It's kind of like you know, the fucking ditto of of plants i guess you call it the ditto of plants because it's just so versatile it can become pretty much anything so i think that's just you know really cool to again know that in china scythians cultivate the cannabis use it to weave fine hemp cloth so they're, they're you know hopefully not really scratchy cloth nice cloth but we'll see uh the zoroastrians in 700 to 600 bce 
An ancient Persian religious text of several hundred volumes referred to the bong as the good narcotic. <clears throat> 600 BCE, hemp rope appears in southern Russia. 700 to 300 BCE, Scythian tribes leave cannabis seeds as an offering in royal tombs. 500 BCE, we kind of just covered this a little bit, sort of. I don't know if this is going to talk directly about that, but we'll see. Uh, Scythian couples die and are buried with two small tents covering containers for burning incense. Attached to one tent stick was a decorated leather pouch containing wild cannabis seeds. This closely matched the story told by Herodotus. The gravesite discovered in the late 1940s was in Pazrik, northwest of the Tian Shan Mountains in modern-day Kazakhstan. Hemp is introduced into northern Europe by the Scythians. An urn containing leaves and seeds of the cannabis plant unearthed near Berlin is found and dated around this time. Use of hemp products spread throughout northern Europe. So we're, we're inching closer here to the modern era. Uh, in 430 BCE, Herodotus reports on both ritual and recreational use of cannabis by the Scythians. We talked about that in our earlier article. Hemp rope in 200 BCE is appears in Greece. Chinese Book of Rites mentions hemp fabrics. 100 BCE, the first evidence of hemp paper invented in China. So again, versatility. They're showing the plant can do many different things. It's cloth. It's also paper now as well as as a medicine. So we're seeing the versatility of the cannabis plant as early as 100 BCE and well really as early as 8000 BCE if we really really want to go there but you know continuing on. Um 100 to 0 BCE the before the common era if you're cur curious what BCE stands for you're like Nate you've said BCE did you say what it stands for? Yeah, I did, but in case you missed it before the common era Essentially, when they're saying Christ is born is zero, that's the quote-unquote common era because that's what most people's uh, religious viewpoints come from, I guess, is the way to say that, and that time frame. So zero is Christ, okay? We'll just call it that. So 100 to 0 BCE, the psychotropic properties of cannabis are mentioned by the newly compiled herbal Peng Sao Ching. 100 or 0 to 100, the first 100 years of our modern civilization in the current era. Construction of Samaritan gold and glass plate stash box for storing hashish, coriander, or salt burned in Siberian tomb. 29, or 23 to 79, Pliny the Elders, the Natural History, mentions hemp rope and marijuana's analgestic effects. Analgestic effects? I think that's the right word. I don't know. Guys, I'm not a scholar of words. Sorry. I'm trying here. I'm doing my very best to read you guys what I am also learning as I am reading it to you. That's what learning is about, man. We're learning together. It's crazy. Hopefully this is not super boring me just reading off these facts. But this is not. This is me kind of just going through all these things quickly to give you guys a rundown of like, you know, we're going to really start talking about stuff like in the late 1800s, early 20th century stuff is when we're really going to dive in. But I think there are a lot of interesting points to know that there there has been a consistent use through all of history of cannabis. And it's it's fun to just kind of go, oh, that's a cool moment to learn that X place was using it, you know. So in 47 to 127, the Plutarch mentions the Thracians using cannabis as an intoxicant in 70. The physician in Nero's army lists medical marijuana in his pharmacopoeia. Okay, so doctors, this physician in Nero's army lists medical marijuana in his pharmacopoeia. In 100, imported hemp rope appears in England. 105, legends suggest that Suan Lun invents hemp paper in China 200 years after its actual appearance. So... Check it out. Here we go. 200 BCE. We do know the first evidence of hip paper invented in China, but it's not reported until 105 CE. That's crazy. It's a big swing there. Uh, 200 years after its actual appearance. 130 to 200 Greek physician Gallen prescribes medical marijuana. So for about 70 years of time, this Greek physician was prescribing medical marijuana. Uh, in 200, the first pharmacopoeia of the East lists medical marijuana. Chinese surgeon Hua To uses marijuana as an anesthetic. 
and 300, a young woman in Jerusalem receives medical marijuana during childbirth. 570, a French woman, Arne Jingund, is burned, or is buried, sorry, not burned, she was not burned, she was buried with hem cloth. 500 to 600, the Jewish Talmud mentions the euphorant properties of cannabis. 850, Vikings take hemp rope and seeds to Iceland. 900, Arabs, le Arabs learn techniques for making hemp paper. So see, in 200 BCE, we have China creating hemp paper for the first time, and it wasn't for almost a thousand years that Arabs learned the technique for making hemp paper. So that's how long it's taking word to essentially travel around the globe on how to do this and, and the properties and how to make it and whatnot. 900 to 1,000 scholars debate the pros and cons of eating hashish. Uh, use spreads throughout Arabia. 1,000. So, you know, <clears throat> only 1,020 years ago. Hemp ropes appear on Italian ships. Arabic physician Ibn Washnian on poison warns of marijuana's potential dangers. Uh, 1090 to 1124. In Khorasan, Persia, Hassan ibn al-Sabah recruits followers to commit assassinations. Legends develop around their supposed use of hashish. These legends are some of the earliest written tales of the discovery of the inebriating powers of cannabis and the use of hashish by a paramilitary organization as a hypnotic. See U.S. Military Use, 1942, below. Early 12th century hashish smoking becomes very popular through Middle Asia, or Middle East, throughout the Middle East. Sorry, misread that line below. 1155 to 1221. Persian legend of the Surfi master Sheikh Haidar, personal discovery of cannabis and his own alleged invention of hashish, which is subsequent with its subsequent spread to Iraq, Bahrain, Egypt, and Syria, another of the earliest written narratives of the use of cannabis as an inebriant. 1171 to 1341, during the Ayyubid dynasty of Egypt, cannabis is introduced by mystic devotees from Syria. In 1200, 1001 Nights, an Arabic collection of tales, describes hashish's intoxicant, intoxicating and aphrodisiac properties. 13th century, the oldest monograph on hashish was written. It has since been lost. I cannot say what it is called. It's the <clears throat> Zar al-Arish fi Tarim al-Hashish was written. It has since been lost. Ibn al-Bayar of Spain provides a description of the psychoactive nature of cannabis. Arab traders bring cannabis to the Mozambique coast of Africa. Uh, 1271 to 1295, Journeys of Marco Polo, in which he gives secondhand reports of the story of Hassan ibn al-Sabah and his assassins using hashish. First-time reports, uh, first reports of cannabis having been brought to the attention of Europe. In 1300s, Ethiopian pipes containing marijuana suggest the herb has spread from Egypt to the rest of Africa. In 1378, Ottoman emir Sodono-Shla... Uh, Shaikh Hoyni <laughs> issues one of the first edicts against eating of hashish. Babur Nama, first emperor and founder of the Mughal Empire, learns of hashish in Afghanistan in uh, 1526. I forgot to say the year in that one. 1532, French physician uh, Rabialis Gargantuan and Pantagruel mentions marijuana's medicinal effects. We're inching ever closer to our modern times here, folks, as we're inching ever closer to the end of this first episode. Let's continue on. In 1533, King Henry VIII finds farmers if they do not raise hemp for industrial use. In 1549, Angolan slaves brought cannabis with them to the sugar plantations of northern eastern Brazil. They were permitted to plant their cannabis between rows of cane and to smoke it between harvests. In 1550, the epic poem... Bank you bode, the poem by Mohammed Enib Soleiman Foruli of Baghdad details allegorically with dialectic dialectical battle between wine and hashish. With a dialectical battle between wine and hashish. So he, he wrote a story of wine and hash battling each other. In 1563, Portuguese physician Garcia de Horta reports on marijuana's medicinal effects. 1578. 
China's Li Shihi Chen writes in the book of antibiotics and antiemetic effects of marijuana. 1600, England begins to import hemp from Russia. 1606 to 1632, French and British cultivate cannabis for hemp at their colonies in Port Royal. 1606, Virginia. 1611, and Plymouth. 1632. 1616, Jamestown settlers begin growing the hemp plant for its unusually strong fiber and use it to make rope, sails, and clothing. 1621, Burton's Anatomy of Melancholy suggests marijuana may treat depression. That's Why is that not the first known time they say that depression is even a thing and that it could be treated by cannabis here? That's something worth noting. Uh, and 16, between 1600 and 1700, the use of hashish alcohol opium spreads amongst the population of, ox, of occupied Constantinople. Hashish becomes a major trade item between Central Asia and South Asia. 1753, Linnaeus classifies cannabis sativa. In 1764, medical marijuana appears in the New England Dispensatory. In 1776, Kentucky begins growing hemp. So that's a first official beginnings of our nation. Kentucky begins growing hemp, 1776. Bang, right out of the gate, it's in America. Okay? 1776, weed is in America. Didn't come here from the Mexicans. It didn't come here from the the Indians. or I mean, it, the Indians might have had it. But hemp is being grown in 1776 in Kentucky. In 1794, medical marijuana appears in the Edinburgh Dispensary. The new the Edinburgh New Dispensary, my bad. Uh, in 1798, Napoleon discovers that much of Egyptian lower class habitually uses hashish. Soldiers returning from France bring the tradition with them, and he declares a total prohibition. Whoa! So, because Napoleon heard the Egyptians were using hash, and the soldiers returned to France with that, he declared nobody uses it. Prohibition. You can't have it. Sound familiar? Oh, they're having fun. Take that away. In 1800, marijuana plantations flourish in Mississippi, Georgia, California, South Carolina, Nebraska, New York, and Kentucky. Also during this period, smoking hashish was popular throughout France and to a lesser degree in the U.S. Hashish produced expanded. Uh, hashish production expands from Russia's Turkestan to Yarkand and to Chinese Turkestan. In 1809, Antoine. Silvestri de Stasi, a leading Arabist, suggests that a base entomology between the words assassin and has hash ishin subsequent linguist study disproves his theory. <laughs> That's a dumb theory. In 1840 in America, medicinal preparations with the cannabis base are available. Hashish is available in Persian pharmacies. 1842, Irish physician O'Shaughnessy publishes cannabis research in an English medical journal. 1843, French author Gauthier publishes the Hashish Club. 1846, the French physician Maru publishes Hashish and Mental Illness. 1850, cannabis is added to the U.S. pharmacopoeia. 1850 to 1950, marijuana was, mar was widely used throughout the United States as a medicinal drug and could easily be purchased in pharmacies and general stores. 1854, Whittier writes the first American work to mention cannabis as an intoxicant. 1856, British tax ganja and chattas trade in India. 1857, American writer Ludlow publishes The Hashish Eater. 1858, French poet Baudelaire publishes On the Artificial Ideal. 1870, I kind of want to go back and find some of these works like and, and, and read about some of these works. We might do that, actually. Like, I'm going to Google this one and go back to this. Okay, so, oh, wow, yeah, it's we, I, we could check it out. Oh, it's a to read about the hashish eater from 1857. It's an autobiographical book by Fitzhugh Ludlow describing the author's altered state of consciousness and physiological flights of fancy while he was using a cannabis a cannabis extract. Dang, where can I get this? I want to read it. 
I'm going to I'm going to check this out. We're going to get back to that. Anyways, let's continue on down the line. We're going to get into the 1900s here and that's what I'm going to going to we're going to take a nice little stop. There's like kind of a spot that I know where I want to kind of you know stop for today and then we're going to next episode we'll get into more of this and we'll actually kind of talk more about each bullet point when I have a little bit more to add into this and we can talk about uh, what was happening and shaped around what was going on in the world uh, here. So in 1870 to 1880, first reports of hashish smoking on the Greek mainland. 1890, Greek Department of Interiors prohibits importance, cultivation, and use of hashish. Hashish is made illegal in Turkey. Sir Junior Reynolds, chief physician to Queen Victoria, prescribes medical marijuana to her in the same year. 1893 to 94, the India Hemp Drug Commission report is issued 70,000 to 80,000 kilograms per year of hash is legally imported into India from Central Asia. 1906, in the U.S., the Pure Food and Drug Act is passed, regulating the labeling of products containing alcohol, opiates, cocaine, and cannabis, among others. Early 20th century, smoking hashish remains very popular throughout the Middle East. 1910, the Mexican Revolution causes an influx of Mexican revolution immigrants who introduced the habit of recreational use instead of generally medicinal use into American society. In 1914, the Harrison Act in the U.S. defines the use of marijuana, among other drugs, as a crime. And we're going to read about the Harrison Act here in just one second. Um, we're going to get to 1916. The USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, uh, Chief Scientist Jason uh, L. Merrill and Leicester H. Dewey create paper made from hemp pulp, which they concluded was favorable in comparison to those used with pulp wood. In USDA Bulletin number 404 from the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Hare in the USDA Bulletin N404, reported that one acre of hemp in annual rotation over a 20-year period would produce as much pulp for paper as 4.1 acres. Okay of trees being cut down over the same 20-year period. The process would only use one-seventh to one-fourth as much polluting sulfur-based acid chemicals to break down the glue-like lignans that bind the fibers of the pulp, or even none at all, using soda ash. The problem of dioxin and contamination of rivers is avoided in the hemp paper-making process, which does not need to use chlorine bleach as the wood pulp paper-making process requires, but instead safely substitutes hydrogen peroxide in the bleaching process. If the new hemp pulp paper process were legal today in 1916 it would soon replace about 70 percent of all wood pulp paper including computer printout paper oh well th this is not 1916 obviously including computer printout paper corrugated boxes and paper boxes however the mass production of cheap newsprint from hemp had not been developed in any country and hemp was already relatively easy target because factories already made large investments in equipment to handle cotton wool and linen but they were relatively small investments in hemp production this is my last one. 1915 to 27, in the U.S., cannabis begins to be prohibited for non-medicinal use. Prohibition first begins in California, surprisingly, followed by Texas, Louisiana, and then New York. California in 1915, Texas in 1919, Louisiana in 1924, and New York in 1927. That's less than 100 years ago. Now we're talking. We're talking within timelines of people that we know have dealt with this. So let's talk about the Harrison Act, right? The Harrison Narcotics Act, okay, is stated as such. The Harrison Narcotics Tax Act, Chapter 138, Stat 785, was the United States federal law that regulated and taxed the production, importation, and distribution of opiates and coca products. The act was proposed by Representative Francis Burton Harrison of New York and was approved on December 17, 1914. An act to provide for the regulation of with collectors of internal revenue and to impose a special tax on all persons who produce, import, manufacture, compound, deal in, dispense, sell, distribute, or give away opium or cocoa leaves, their salts, derivatives, or preparations, and for other purposes. The court interprets this to mean that physicians could prescribe narcotics to patients in the course of normal treatment but not for the treatment of addiction. The Harrison Anti-Narcotics Legislation con consisted of three House bills imposing restrictions on availability and consu consumption of the psychoactive drug opium. So that's more of an opium-based uh, you know, thing, but it does define the use of marijuana in there as a crime. 
Uh, and, you know, I think that that's really where our battle kind of starts here with this podcast is to, is to talk about um, all the crazy injustices and wild things of that nature. The decision to make cannabis an illegal drug is literally a man-made archetype based on somebody's opinion who at the time didn't have all the science we have now, didn't have all the medical research we have now, and didn't have the understanding we have now. So I think that's going to do it for this first episode of Caniculture. Hopefully I've given you some information you didn't know before. Hopefully I didn't butcher all these different names and things because I butchered quite a few of them. Uh, Even pre-reading this through, I still fumbled through those names because I'm not a linguist like that, I guess, is the best way to say it. I tried my best. Hopefully it wasn't terrible, and hopefully you guys learned something along the way. Uh, You guys can always check out the Journey Into Comics Network at journeyintocomics.com. Get us on all the different podcasting platforms iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, many others. Um, Apple Music, I think, is another great one to use. Uh, just search Journey into Comics Network. One feed all you need. Got a bunch of awesome different shows coming at you as often as we absolutely can, folks. I want to thank you so much for joining me on this very first adventure, kind of a nervous adventure of uh, Canaculture. Uh, I also want to say this. Here's a very important thing. If you're listening... And you're at home and you're like, I have a lot of questions about weed that I need someone to answer because I don't know. Maybe you don't smoke. Maybe you're just you're interested in the culture or whatever it is. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about you know the different types of things you can smoke with and all the, 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 the paraphernalia and all those things. There's going to be an episode based on that, obviously, at some point. But right now, we're going to focus kind of on the history of this whole thing. Then start looking at the laws, start understanding what was going on in the uh, socioeconomic scale in the world, everything that was happening at those different times here. Um, like I said, as we get here to 1914, we get the first time they consider the use of marijuana a crime. Why was that? Does it have something to do with uh, racism? We're going to find out because we're going to talk a lot more about this next time, folks. I want to thank you guys so much for joining me on this very first, very special episode of Can of Culture. I have been your um, connoisseur, I guess you could say, Nate. I hope you guys are kicked back, relaxed, and have sparked a nice tasty bowl for your rest of your day. Uh, Be safe, be well to each other, and take care. We will see you guys next time on Canaculture. Culture.